Hey, great day. So before we get into today's podcast episode, I have a huge announcement. We are bringing back the Abundant CEO Private Practice Bootcamp. This is a three-day virtual party that I'm inviting all mental health therapists that either want a private practice in the next six to 12 months, or you already have had a private practice, maybe for the last year, five years, or even over a decade, but you want to understand wealth and cash flow in your company. You want to learn how to show up as a CEO and work more on your business versus in your business. Maybe you want to assess the health and the wealth of your current or future private practice to really see if you're on the right path to increasing your revenue, to growing your practice, maybe to streams of income later, or maybe even a group practice. Bottom line is you will walk away from this three-day bootcamp clarifying and understanding your niche, understanding how to show up as an abundant CEO, and most importantly, assessing the health of what you believe is a profitable private practice. So head down to the show notes and go to the link drtk.com forward slash links and sign up for the bootcamp. I'll see you there. Now let's head into the podcast episode. Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. Hey, welcome back to the Branding for Abundance podcast and video. My name is Dr. TK, clinical psychologist and branding coach for therapists. And so in today's episode, I actually want to do a mix of something different. Um, I have been telling the students who are in my dope therapist community coaching programs that I would do more video because I've recognized just with my personality and my energy and from the YouTube videos and or from uh, vlogs that I've done in the past, people really sense my energy. And so I wanted to make sure that when I am producing content and creating information for mental health professionals to brand a profitable mental health business, I want to ensure that I'm also catering to the various learning styles. And so typically I keep all of this information on my podcast Even typically on YouTube, the podcast will send it over, but you don't see me. We may change the thumbnail, but literally all you see is like a a steel picture and then you hear the audio. And for auditory learners, that actually works out perfect. However, some people may want to sit down in front of their television on their phones or on their laptops and they actually may want to see me talk. Maybe they want to see the gestures that they can't see on the podcast. And so again, this is my first time doing it. So if I look down, if you're watching this on YouTube, if I look down, then I am looking down at my notes um, because I am honestly going to walk you through with me this experience of trying something new. Okay. So bear with me. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about what the hell WTH is up with this bare minimum supervision tactic, okay? So the reason why this topic is actually really near and dear to my heart is because I am a clinical psychologist licensed. I am a clinical supervisor over um, bachelor's level, master's level, and doctoral level internship students, whether they are branching out to become a master's level clinicians eventually, a master level clinician, and 
or a doctoral level clinician. And so from my experience, which I'll get into in a moment, but from my experience, I've recognized that a lot of training sites for mental health professionals They have just been giving these students the bare minimum and it definitely bothers me. So before we get into what I've observed, I first want to talk to you about just what my experience was and where my expectations came from. And then in a later video and episode, I'll also get into some horrific um, experiences that I've had that also set the bar for expectations for supervision for me very, very high. Okay. Which to me should be the standard. So when I was um, a practicum student, more so in my doctoral level program, because my master's level program was horrendous. I was at one site and it was just not the best at all. They were a prime example of giving students the bare minimum. And I also felt like I honestly didn't know what the hell I was doing. Therefore, that's one of the reasons what pushed me to go into the doctoral level program, because I just felt like I wasn't ready to then be responsible for somebody else's mental health. Right. And so when I was in my doctoral program, how the program is set up or how the program was set up is that you can do a four or five year track. If you do a four year track, which is the the most of us, then it would be the first year is all coursework. The second and third year are practicum years in which they encourage you to go to different practicum sites to get a broad range of experience. And then the last year is a full term, um, full time internship in which you may stay local. You may like for me, I came back to L.A., um, Um, Or you can just, you know, you can go out of state, but you can do it wherever you are accepted. And then you are to complete a minimum of 1500 hours, basically working full time, no schoolwork. So the expectation also was that you would have either all or the bulk of your dissertation, that book we have to write done. So you can just solely focus on, you know, consuming the information in your internship program and having a good time. So what ended up happening in my first practicum, which really set the bar for what a practicum internship is supposed to look like, is um, we worked there 16 hours a week, okay? I was uh, placed at a high school in Northern California in uh, Central and in North Richmond. I actually had a mix of two different schools throughout the school year. And so when I was placed at that school, one of the things that I loved that the supervising staff did is that they gave us an onboarding like hiring training. So we had to go there for a week straight. We had training on documentation, expectations, how to contact parents, how to collaborate with school staff, teachers, principals, school psychologists. And they even taught us about, of course, safety. And then when it comes down to confidentiality, what that should and should not look like when we're talking to Um, legal guardians or parents and or school staff? How do we get kids in the office and make them feel comfortable to talk? Like all of those things, right? And we also discussed like cultural diversity. And then beyond the onboarding, onboarding training, which was for about a week, then we went into the schools, maybe about the second week of school, but the first week we actually just got acclimated with the new environment. Our supervisor or whoever the head therapist was at the site that we were stationed at, they would actually take us on a tour, introduce us to the the most popular people, which would be like the principal, vice principal, the academic counselor, the school psychologist, and then some teachers that were very involved potentially in like the referral process of kids for therapy. So I was just like, wow, 
like they're just covering all grounds and it was super, super exciting, you know, and I didn't feel like I was being thrown out to the sharks. And so then the second or third week when we actually start slowly meeting with the kids, because behind the scenes, when we were still at the, uh, the internship site or training office, they were going over our cases with us and then even doing role plays because some of these kids had already had a previous therapist and they wanted to make sure that we would approach that kid appropriately because they may also be dealing with grief and loss from the previous therapist on the last school year due to the like therapeutic bond and relationship. So I felt like we had the best setup whatsoever. And then we went into our regular year with having um, two hours of group supervision every single week. Um, We also had one week of individual supervision. And then if you had over a certain amount of clients, depending on your licensure status, like master's or doctoral level students, that would dictate how many individual supervision hours we needed. And then on top of those three hours a week, we also had two hours of mandatory didactic training, which was to reiterate the things that we had learned at school, but to make them come alive. So that's where we would do a case consultation and present a case much deeper than what we would do in group supervision. We would have trainers come in like every other week or so and do cultural diversity training, grief and loss training, trauma training, um, sand play therapy training. I mean, whatever we can do with kids to make the therapeutic experience more pleasurable and to see their growth in mental health services, that's the training that they gave us. So that to me was the expectation. And if you are a mental health provider and you're listening to this, you may want to reevaluate how you were trained because a lot of our training has everything to do with what type of therapist we are now, right? So that was my expectation. So then graduated, got licensed, and I decided that you know, I love being a teacher anyway. So I was like, you know what? I want to give back. So I decided to take a, a couple of continuing educational courses to become a supervisor to undergraduate and graduate students. So what I started to recognize was that the repeated cycle that I had seen in my practicum sites started to come back up again, actually about 95% of the time. And I'm referring to certain sites that I would either interview for, for a supervisor and or be brought on board. Now, when I was brought on board, I recognized that the bare minimum quality was definitely in effect, meaning they were only giving students two hours of group supervision. And then if the students, again, depending on their licensure level, if they needed individual supervision only because of the amount of clients that they had, then that's when they would give them individual supervision. And you may be wondering, well, maybe that's cost efficient for the program. Maybe they couldn't hire a supervisor for the program. But that's BS to me because I've also supervised for a position at the Hollywood Gay and Lesbian Center for a doctoral level student, and it was 100% volunteer. That was actually my first time supervising, and I just felt like, why not do it for free, get critiqued, get feedback from the student. They also give me feedback. I give them feedback, and then it will make me a better candidate and a stronger supervisor when I'm getting compensated and paid. So, and, and she didn't get the bare minimum. I was just an outside provider that signed up under a contract as, as being a volunteer, but she received didactic training and group training and specialty training when working with that population throughout the week before we had our individual supervision. So they did not do the bare minimum, but two sites in particular that I su- actually 
yeah, two sites in particular that I supervised um, students at, they did give the bare minimum. So what ended up happening is because I knew clearly based off the off of the students' lack of knowledge in particular areas that they should have had knowledge in, considering how far they were with collecting their hours, um, the site was only giving them two um, one hour with me. They weren't oh, actually no. I take that back. They were getting two hours of group supervision, both of these particular sites. And so what I decided to do is I did a mix of what I was getting at my previous practicum sites. And I would just honestly mix it in with the two hours that I had because I had to do with what I had. They were not willing, I asked to multiple times, to give me more hours and to allocate for particular activities with students. And they were just like, we don't have the budget for it. We don't have the budget for it. And I was able to even prove my point by looking at students' documentation or lack thereof, I should say, um, certain levels of expectations in regards to how you should document how you saw a client How do you conduct a thorough intake? How do you come to the conclusion of a mental health diagnosis? Because some of these clients do need to be referred out. Some of them are not the appropriate level of care for a student, but we wouldn't know that if the student doesn't know how to conduct an initial assessment. So I gave them all of that information. And at the end of the day, it was just like, we don't have a budget for that. So after some time of observing this and still doing my due diligence with giving these students the best that I could with integrating integrating training, case consultation, um, and then just a regular group supervision and then giving them my phone number where if we needed to dive deeper in the case, then we would. It still to me didn't sit well. And right now I'm in a season of moving in alignment in my career, in my business with what my higher power God has put me on this earth to do. And if I'm not walking in alignment, then that just simply means that I'm not going to continue with this position. I'm no longer going to apply for positions that to me do not put students in the right or on the right path to be effective clinicians, to be um, very well-informed clinicians, because to me, it's going to slap them in their face. And I would tell them this, like, if you guys do not learn how to be more independent, ask more questions, I know you don't know what you don't know, but if I'm mentioning something and you're like, that sounds foreign, then ask me and maybe I'll even produce a whole training on it. There were times where I would honestly go on YouTube, find explainer videos, and then send that to them as homework assignments because I didn't have time to do the training. But then I thought to myself over time, why am I doing this? Isn't the program supposed to be doing this? And so I started to inquire. And this is when I really found out that it was the freaking bare minimum. The students had said, um, I had asked them at the end of the year, like, you know, how has it been going with your other supervisor? Because they did meet with someone only, it seems like, on emergency basis at one particular site. And I asked them about their documentation, closing out cases for a school year because it was a school-based program. And they said, oh, you're, you know, no one looks at my notes. Um, They said that you're supposed to look at my notes. And I was like, well, no one informed me that I was supposed to look at your notes because I'm just supposed to do group supervision. There's no, in my head, there's no revenue allocation for looking at eight students' paperwork. And when you think about paperwork and documentation, I think about the word subpoenas. Because if I'm signing my name off on a note, I'm actually saying that I agree with your diagnostic criteria. I agree with your strategies based off your diagnostic criteria as that came from your intake. And then I agree with, you know, what you're doing with this particular kid. And so I was like, I'm not signing that note. And so me and the students started having more transparent conversations about them also feeling lost, 
confused and they felt like they were thrown out to the sharks. And so when the students started to feel comfortable with me and safe because we had like a Las Vegas principle, which is, of course, whatever we talk about in group supervision stays here unless it's more about an immediate danger of a client, then please feel free to express yourself. And they felt very, very comfortable to the point where I found out so much more information that I didn't like about even how their beginning onboarding process was, they bombarded these students with 40 hours of training the first week and then there was no follow-up. And I don't know about you, but when I receive too much information and I don't have time to implement it, that becomes a problem because if you teach me something and then for whatever reason, it doesn't come up until six months after, I I forgot what you taught me. You know what I'm saying? And so I'd rather like my first practicum experience that I explained is that they tapered out across the year, particular trainings, looking at the clientele that we served because I feel like that's the best model. Okay. So let's just recap. I shared with you some um, great formatting for an ideal practicum or internship site, which includes individual supervision, no matter how many clients you have, because a supervisor should be able to talk to the student about your client and also what questions you may have that you may not want to bring up in group supervision in front of seven other people. And then we talked about providing that two hour window for group supervision so that they can case consult, give one another feedback and also learn from one another in cases. Then we have also two hours of didactic training, which is specifically for implementing honestly all the things that we've learned in grad school, but now we're actually applying it to actual clients. So that is the example that I gave for the practicum experience. And then of course I went into what is the bare minimum. Most students are only getting the two hours of group supervision. So if you found this uh, video or if you're listening on the podcast, if you found it helpful, then please make sure to click subscribe to my YouTube channel and or to my podcast. Please leave me feedback. Um, If you want to hear about any other topics as it relates to um, being a mental health professional, growing in your business and or thriving specifically in a private practice, please let me know. I am continuously producing awesome content every single week to help you grow your mindset, your wealth, your abundance within the mental health field. And also, if you can just go down to the show notes, I've included a link for my private practice quiz. So if you are desiring to have a private practice in the near future within the next six months to a year and or if you already have a private practice but you're stuck you're stagnant you are not growing whether it be your revenue and or client uh you know fulfillment you're not attracting the right clients you're not getting paid your value then i would highly encourage you to take my private practice uh, questionnaire. It's about 25 questions. But the most beautiful part about this questionnaire is that it will generate results into three different categories for you. So based off of your answers and be fully transparent, it will tell you what level of success or growth your business truly is in. And then I have specific recommendations for you of what to do next. So I really hope that you enjoyed this uh, new episode on what's up with this minimum supervision and super advisor um, expectations. Um, Again, um, I hope to see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.